What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 82. Today's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to talk off the cuff and I want to talk about the 2021 DIY Music Conference done by CD Baby. This was their first virtual music conference. I attended an actual in-person one in 2018 and it was phenomenal. Um, I learned a whole lot. The networking was great. It was it was absolutely fantastic. This was the first time doing it virtually and it went really well. Uh, aside from a few technical glitches initially, they had some really engaging speakers. I learned a ton. It was free. Uh, three days long, I took 17 pages of notes. And so what I'm going to be doing in this podcast, I'm going to recap some of my favorite talks key takeaways, and some of the things that I'm going to try next. Uh, This is going to be one of the most information-dense, actionable episodes I've ever done, so uh, you may want to think about taking some notes, although I will have all of the links available for you on the show notes page at ProducerLifePodcast.com, episode 82. I'll have lots and lots of links. But first, cue the intro music. So one of the first first sessions was an artist interview with Jackie Vinson, who's a touring singer-songwriter. She does progressive pop, soul, and blues, uh, and she had a lot of success with live streaming. So some of the things that she was doing, uh, consistency and volume, she, she did, I think, 50 days straight streaming and uh, really had sort of this exponential growth in her number of followers on Facebook. Uh, she does recognize that the algorithm has changed since then. Um, she talked about doing streams an average of 45 minutes uh, because sometimes it takes people a little while to find you. Uh, and and the whole strategy that she has is basically just stay in front of people. Uh, so whether you're do, talking about an album release or a tour or anything else, just talk about stuff. Find something to get online and get in front of your audience, whether it's talking about music or your daily life or uh, you know, just let people know you're human and um, be authentic. Uh, we, we keep hearing that over and over. One of the other things that she talked about which struck me as interesting was some of the COVID adaptations uh, that she's seeing clubs and venues that she's playing at. All of the clubs she's playing at right now are requiring vaccination or a proof of a negative test. But what she did say was really interesting was that she was regularly seeing 30% no-show rates. So in other words, people would buy tickets, but then not bother showing up. Now, ultimately, as the artist, that's okay. You're still, you know, you're still getting paid and you're still selling tickets. But um, it, it was just interesting that, you know, people are buying the tickets and then because of changes in restrictions or uh, just their perception of risk, they're deciding not to show up. She also talked about uh, doing meet and greets, uh, certainly earlier on in the pandemic, uh, trying to do those outside and with masks on. But, you know, it's it's sort of this constant flux right now, depending on what part of the country you're in, what's going on with the Delta variant, uh, sort of how people are adapting. One of the other sessions that I really enjoyed was the Spotify Masterclass with Jesse Jacobson. 
they started off talking about sort of the massive reach that Spotify has with 365 million monthly users, 165 million of those being paid, 178 different global markets. Uh, the thing that struck me about this is sort of contrasting that with Pandora, who spoke later. Um, Pandora has some really unique offerings, but it is primarily U.S. Uh, markets. On the flip side, a lot of the things that Spotify is charging for, like some of the verbal ads, are free on Pandora. So if you're really interested in dialing in the uh, U.S. markets, Pandora may be something you should really look at. All right, but let me focus on Spotify right now. Uh, so they are expanding with a lot of different offerings right now. They've got Your Daily Drive, which gives you the opportunity to sort of blend a podcast and music. If, if you haven't heard, Spotify's got a huge push with podcasts. Spotify has also recently acquired Green Room. I'm sorry, they, they acquired Locker Room, which they have rebranded as Green Room. Uh, so uh, this is a live audio platform for people to engage in. Uh, this is an easy, low-hanging, actionable step. Go Even if you're not sure you want to use this, getting into that verbal spoken space, you can go tie up your handle. So go get uh, whatever your artist name is there so that somebody else doesn't snag it. Spotify for Artists is big. If you haven't already been on your Spotify for Artists account, you should absolutely do that. That is the main place where you're going to get your analytics. Hopefully your distributor makes it easy to claim your profile. I know CD Baby made it super easy. One of the things that they were talking about that I think I'm underutilizing is the gallery function. I didn't realize you can upload up to 125 different images to try to help draw and hold people's attention. Your bio, though, is restricted to 1,500 characters. So, you know, you may need to work on that bio a little bit to make it fit. They also talked about integrations with various services for listing uh, when you've got a tour coming up. Uh, Songkick is the one that they said is probably the easiest integration, but they do have other providers which integrate with Spotify to display your upcoming dates. Unfortunately, they don't do bands in town, which I was a little disappointed in because I've gotten pretty good traction on bands in town. They only have one integration, though, for merch, and that's Merch Bar, which I've heard mixed reviews about. I, I would be really interested to hear some of your guys' opinions on Merch Bar if you've used it. Uh, but if you want to sell merch on Spotify, that is currently your only choice. Talking a little bit more about your artist profile there, you've got your artist pick. Um, and I knew that you could post your uh, your most recent album or single. What they also talked about is you can use that artist pick to promote your tour dates. It also gives you an opportunity to give a, a short description of that. And this is live for two weeks and highlighted on your profile. So another actionable, actionable step might be to put a reminder in your calendar every two weeks to go update that artist pick on Spotify. I've talked previously in episode 52 of the Producer Life podcast about Canvas. They mentioned again that you get up to 145% increase in shares to things like Instagram stories if you'll build that Spotify Canvas. If you haven't done that before, again, go check out episode 52. I talk a little bit about building a Canvas uh, and my own music. I've got about a third of my catalog have Canvas Canvi? I don't know. Um, canvases up. So uh, you can go check those out also. Um, I'm House Ninja on the, on the Spotify platform. 
Uh, what else? They've got Spotify codes. Um, I'm kind of mixed about this. Uh, Spotify codes are basically kind of like QR codes uh, where you can link people straight to a particular song. The thing that seems a little bit limiting on this is that they have to use their Spotify app to open it up. Kind of like QR codes because you could still link to a particular song and then that's going to tell your phone to open up the Spotify app. But, you know, a, a generic QR code, anything can read it, whereas a Spotify code, you have to use the actual Spotify app. Another thing that I'm really excited about that they promoted in this was fan study dot by spotify.com that's byspotify.com and again i'll have a link for that in the show notes this is a really amazing website that sort of consolidates a lot of their top findings from the last year or so about listener behavior on the platform and it is really cool to scroll through you can just read the 20 or so odd summaries or you can dig into the data, uh, and a lot of it also has the ability to manipulate tables and see what's most relevant to you. For example, one of their findings was that the lines between genres continue to blur. So for me, for example, you could go in there and look and see that for an electronic musician, um, a lot of electronic musicians also listen to pop and also listen to hip-hop. And the way that I might apply that would be say, okay, well, I, maybe I need to try to have some pop crossover. Maybe I need to have some hip-hop artists that I collaborate with. And that would really appeal to a lot of people that enjoy all three of those genres of music. Uh, if you're coming from a different genre of music, you can go in there and you could say, all right, well, let's see what the top crossovers are for country music, for example. A couple of the other findings, and this is just the top couple of ones, Latin America has been blowing up. They have been discovering tons of new music. And sort of anecdotally, I'm seeing that with my Vinpaka track on uh, YouTube in particular. I'm continuing to get a lot of traction there with no paid advertising. And a lot of it is coming from Latin America. Uh, so I am really excited about that that particular track and how it's been doing. And I uh, think I'm going to try to do some more uh, Latin tracks and Latin EDM uh, in the future because I'm having some really, really good success there. Another point that they make in the fan study is that local music travels the world. So your genre, your niche, your subcategory may not have a lot of traction in your city, but you never know. It may be popular in Beirut. It may be popular in Zimbabwe. Who, who knows where your fans are? Um, except for you, if you go into your artist profile on Spotify and you may discover you've got this niche following in some really cool little corner of the world. So that's, that's awesome. And, but again, you don't know that unless you dig into the numbers. The other thing that they, another takeaway from this, and I, I strongly encourage you to go check out the fan study, um, is that fans are coming to Spotify in new ways. And so one of their top places that they said people are discovering new tracks from is Discord. Um, and I had never thought about using Discord channels and sharing music on Discord channels, but I know Discord is huge. Almost all of the producer clubs that I'm a part of have a Discord server. Labels have Discord servers. Gamers have Discord servers. So um, if you're trying to share your music, that, that may be a place to look. Of course, they talked about playlists. Uh, they talked about a new music submission tool, which the new music music submission tool, a lot of you... I'm guessing have tried this. What I didn't realize about this, so 
basically after your, after your distributor submits your music to Spotify, you can go in there and you can tell the editorial teams on Spotify a little about your music. And they've got lots of different drop downs for genre and what sorts of instruments are in it. And then there's a free text box that allows you to tell the story of your song. And what they encourage people to do is talk about who was involved. You know, what's the spirit behind the lyrics? What are you targeting? Uh, where does the song fit sonically? And they're asking for 10 to 14 days in advance. Um, I, I think I've been bad about that. I think I've only been giving them a day or two. And the point that they made is that, you know, these are reviewed manually. But if your song piques the interest of uh, one of their editorial teams, it could wind up on a big playlist and get a lot of traction. So I, I need to do a better job backwards planning. And when you're releasing your music, if you want to try that that pitch, and I absolutely think you should because it doesn't cost anything, make sure you're leaving a, a, at least a week, maybe two weeks, so that they have time to review your submission and try to figure out if it fits on an editorial playlist. Speaking of editorial playlists, in 2020, they made the point that 76,000 artists were added to editorial playlists for the first time. So you never know when, when you may pop off, uh, but definitely give it a try. Spotify also talked and pitched their ad studio at ads.spotify.com. They mentioned that they've got a very low spend, spending requirement, um, as low as $250, and that lets you do those audio spots that we've all heard on Spotify. Uh, hey, this is the House Ninja. Check out my new album. This is really awesome. Click here uh, to hear my new song, you know, something like that. What they've changed and updated in this is that now you can do a better job targeting. They've got a lot more uh, granularity where it used to be just some broad genres. Now you can actually narrow things down a little more to try to find your listeners. Um, and one of the ways you can do that is by telling them similar artists that sound like you. So that's a good that's good news. Uh, again, two fifty maybe a little spendy for some people. I know. I've tried, I've had pretty good luck using Facebook ads, pushing people to Spotify playlists. Uh, and I picked up a bunch of followers on one of my playlists that way. Uh, and of course, with Facebook, you can spend a couple of dollars a day, you know, much, much lower. So I, I haven't tried the Spotify ad studio yet. Uh, 250 is a pretty good chunk of change. But uh, if you have tried it, I would love to hear from you. The last thing I talked about was the Marquee, which is a new uh, new feature that they're offering, and they claim deepens engagement with your new music. Basically, it's a it looks like it's a full page banner ad that pops up when they know that people are actually looking at the app. And the, Spotify is claiming that they're getting a fifteen to twenty one percent click through rate, which is absolutely insane. A lot of their other products only get about a 0.4 percent click through rate. So the other thing about that Marquee is that this goes to free and premium customers. So whereas your some of your other ads may only hit the free customer tier, this is going those Marquees are going to go to everybody. So sounds really interesting. Um, they've got an email address to sign up to try Marquees. I will include that. It's kind of a long email address. I'll include that on the show notes page at producerlifepodcast.com. Again, episode 82. All right. Another talk that we had was the um, Aaron Anderson from Olivia Management talked about when do you need a manager? And the bottom line, 
and I, I thought this was a really concise way of, of summarizing this, is she said, you need a manager when you've got so much work that you have too many requests coming in and you are missing opportunities. But she highlighted the point that it's really not bad to wait to hire somebody. It's good for you to understand all the aspects of the business, and it's also good for a manager to see what you, a prospective manager, to see what you can accomplish on your own. So you, you shouldn't be in a rush to hire a manager, but when you start finding opportunities falling through the cracks because you are so busy, that's when you really want to start thinking about it. Now, the alternative to that is finding somebody that's young and hungry and just getting started and wants to grow with you. Um, I, it, it strikes me that uh, Rick Barker, for example, he's out there online, and he was a former manager of Taylor Swift. And uh, in his podcast, um, The New Music, New Music Business Blueprint, I believe, he talks about his experiences early on with Taylor and how he had no clue what he was doing as he was getting started. But had a lot of success because he was a hustler and he was hardworking and he learned fast. So again, if you meet somebody that you really click with, uh, that might be a good opportunity. One of the things that they talked about is you, you, you've really got to click with your manager because it is, it is like getting married. I mean, you are going to be spending so much time with them. You're going to be tying your finances to them. You're going to be traveling with them potentially. There's, there's got to be a, a strong relationship there. So she also talked about software she likes for people that are going to self-manage. Uh, she talked about Coda, C-O-D-A, as a good tool for tracking growth. Uh, she likes MailChimp, Squarespace, and Later.com, which I haven't used for posting socials. She's also a big fan of Asana uh, for task management. And let's see here. She also talked about the importance of getting uh, good press shots and a bio. Uh, and you should have two versions of that bio, a long and a short bio depending on what, what you need. Uh, remember that, for example, Spotify is limited to 1,500 characters. She also provided some interesting insight into what managers are looking for in their customers, uh, in, in their prospective artists. And for her, uh, she, she said she's got basically six rules. She said she has to like the person's music. And I, I think, you know, you as an artist should absolutely make sure that your manager likes your music because otherwise it's going to be very hard for them to authentically represent you. She talked about needing to like the person. Again, going back to the point that you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. Uh, she talked about needing to have common beliefs and values because you got to make sure those brands mesh. For her, she's got a $100,000 a year threshold. Uh, she won't generally take people that have less than a hundred thousand that are making less than a hundred thousand dollars a year because the manager is going to take. 15 to 20% off the top, and they're investing a lot of time and they've got to make money as well. She also talked about making sure that it's a genre that she is good at representing. So for her, I've forgotten which exact genre it is, but you want to look for a manager that has experience in the genre that you are producing in. The last thing that she said was that when she leaves a meeting with the artist, she wants to make sure that she's got ideas bubbling up in her head for what she could do for them. She's had other artists that she's met, and all five of those other blocks were checked. But as she left, she's like, 
I really don't know what to do for this person for whatever reason. And so in that case, it was not a good fit. So from the artist perspective, you know, maybe after that initial meeting, you know, asking the manager, so what what do you think and what might you advise me? You know, how what directions do you think I should go? Several people throughout the meeting talked about EPKs, your electronic press kits, and multiple people advised not sending attachments and always sending a link to your EPK. So a website where you've got recent photos, your bio, maybe your press kit attached, etc. And she made a good point about that in that the links are dynamic and updatable. So when you send something to a promoter, it may be a week before they read it. And if all of a sudden you get a bunch of good press, you can update the link, you can update the website, but you can't necessarily, you can't do anything if you sent them a PDF. So unless somebody specifically asks for a PDF, you know, sending them a link may be a better way to go. Uh, It also occurs to me that if your EPK site also offers a Facebook pixel, that gives you an opportunity to get back in front of that person on a regular basis by maybe targeting them with ads uh, so that they can remember that you're out there. Not only are you pinging them periodically in email, but all of a sudden they're seeing ads with photos of you performing in front of, um, in front of big audiences. And then they're going to think, oh, wait, I think I saw an email from that person. She also wrapped up with a a nice quote that I like. She said, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, And I think we're all guilty of that. We've all looked at other people's streaming numbers. We've all looked at other people's success and bookings and thought, geez, you know, what's, what am I doing wrong? So enjoy your music, make, make what makes you happy and be authentic with your audiences uh, and, and don't spend a lot of time and mental bandwidth trying to compare yourself with other people. The next talk that I took a lot from was Amazon Music for Artists, um, abbreviated AM4A. And this was with Aaron Sinkovic and Danielle Giles, who were the U.S. label manage, uh, relationships managers for indies. So Amazon Music has 55 million customers, not, not nearly as big as uh, Spotify, but they do now offer podcasts. And w- one of the things that jumped out at me, particularly following the pandemic, is the live stream integration via Twitch. So now in the Amazon Music app, and I've already gone in and done this, it's super easy. You you sign into your Amazon, your artists.amazon.com profile, and you click the Twitch integration and you sign into your Twitch account. And now whenever you're going live on Twitch, if somebody is following you on Amazon Music, they will get a notification in the app that you're live. So this is one more way to get in front of people with your live streams from Twitch. So that's that's pretty cool. That's a unique competitive advantage for Amazon Music. The other thing that's interesting is They are one of the only ones that offers fully integrated merch, live streaming, music videos, and artist-hosted stations. So in particular, many of you have been customers of Amazon during the pandemic ordering things. They, I didn't realize this, but they have gotten into the business of doing merch now. So tangible items for fans, they will do print on demand. So you don't have to have any inventory. You design your stuff on the Amazon site, and then they will ship. They will handle returns, and you make a commission on all of it. They also do fulfillment by Amazon, which many of you may know, where you ship 
your finished products, whatever merch you want to sell on the Amazon site to one of their distribute their fulfillment centers, and then they handle everything. Um, and that's eligible for prime shipping or their self-fulfillment, which is where you handle the point of sale operations. So if you want to customize boxes, put in nice little notes, that sort of thing. The point is there's multiple different ways you can leverage this massive selling platform that Amazon has to market your merch. Now, I, I spent a few minutes Googling this and there were a, a few critiques of it. One of the things that I read was that if you don't have any sales on a particular product for 180 days, they pull it down, which is not true of a lot of the other print-on-demand services like Teespring or Redbubble, for example. So it might be good to wait until you've got some traction and you see yourself selling things regularly online. Uh, but certainly, Amazon is a huge marketplace and has a lot of reach. Um, so if you're if you're thinking about merch, uh, you might want to compare that with some of the other uh, services out there. The next thing which I'm really excited about and I am definitely going to use and is absolutely actionable. Uh, we had a talk with uh, Christine O'Connor, uh, Siren in the Sea, also an employee at CD Baby, uh, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast soon, if you're listening, Christine, uh, and Chris Robley, uh, who is going to be on the podcast in September. And they talked about the 45-day release strategy. And I'm not going to summarize all the things they talked about because they introduced me to a really cool tool I didn't know was out there. And it's the website release.cdbaby.com. And what this does, you plug in your release date, you answer like three questions, you give it an email address, which I'm sure does sign you up for e- for their email marketing list, but it's cool that you get a lot of good value out of the CD Baby list. But as soon as you click it, it gives you like a 15-page report giving you dates that you should be submitting things to your DSP, uh, reminding you when you should be doing pre-saves, giving you specific links to websites. It is really cool and really detailed. Um, I will say it is a little bit CD Baby centric because they certainly uh, promote their own services. For example, uh, Show.co is their tool for marketing, one of their tools for marketing that is free to CD Baby artists or really anybody with a CD Baby account, hint, hint. But that's that's the tool that they're promoting for pre-saves. Now, most of you know there's a lot of other tools out there that'll do pre-saves. Um, so their checklist specifically mentions show.co, but it's still an incredibly useful tool. Could you do this yourself? Could you create your own checklist? Absolutely. But this was really easy. I could see myself using this on every single release. But you want to leave about 45, day, 45 days for marketing. One of the other things I'm not sure if they mentioned or if it was somebody else, uh, actually the checklist mentions this, is that a lot of your traction, I've been guilty of promoting things right up to the release date and then I kind of quit. And um, a lot of your traction comes the seven days afterwards. So you, you really ought to be hyping, hyping up your releases before and after uh, release. Show.code, I also learned that um, the links that Show.co offers to get non-fans to pre-save also gets them to subscribe, to to, uh, follow you on Spotify, which is pretty cool. All right, moving along. Next talk. I I told you this was going to be a dense, dense podcast, but there was so much good stuff. And so I'm, I'm trying to just hit the highlights here. 
Best practices for artists on Facebook and Instagram. That was the next talk. One of the stats that they rattled off, which blows my mind, is that people open their Instagram app an average of 50 to 90 times per day and scroll the length of the entire Empire State's building every day, which is just nuts. But, you know, I it illustrates Instagram's reach. So they talked about the integration with music, and I, I went in there and looked, and a lot of my music is on there. I, most DSPs provide music to Instagram. If you click the universal search button at the bottom of your Instagram app, and then you click on, I believe, audio, and search for your artist's name, it should pull up a lot of your music. Now, strangely, mine only pulled up a handful, but then when I went through and actually searched for House Ninja and the title of the song, it would find it. The cool thing is, is that if you go in there and search for your songs on Instagram, there is a page for each of those songs, and it'll show you other people out there that have used your audio for, for example, an Instagram reel or a story or something like that. Um, so it's a really cool way of seeing what other people are doing with your content, which is pretty awesome. You may see if you're trying to integrate your music or other people's music into uh, Instagram stories or things like that, it's important to note that you may see a different catalog of music depending on whether you have an Instagram personal or business account. And the way they explain that is that some music is only licensed for personal use. I encouraged people way back in, in a previous episode to sign up for an Instagram business account because that gives you access to a lot of data and insights. This may be a limitation with that. Now, one thing I didn't realize is that there is also now a category of Instagram creators, um, which for artists is a much better choice, I think, than the business account. So one of the actionable items I'm taking away from this is I need to go look at swapping my business account to a creator account. Um, there was a warning that they had. If you have a business account and you decide to go back to a personal account, you will lose all of the and then you decide to go back to a business account, you lose all of the historic data behind it. So make if you're going to revert back to a personal account, make sure that you're sure that you want to do that. But I, I think I'm going to swap to a creative account after a little more research. They talked about the different surfaces in Instagram. So you've got your feed, you've got your story, you've got live, you've got reels, you've got all these different different surfaces. And they talked about the importance of being on as many of those as possible uh, regularly. And they pitched a particular technique I thought was cool called the live waterfall content technique. So the basic idea is instead of trying to come up with unique content for each of these different surfaces, you create a 10 or 15 minute video on live TV you then clip it into 60 seconds to post to your feed. Then you put any really interesting, very short clips to reels. And then you can share any of the above back to your stories. So basically everything waterfalls off of that original live TV feed. But, but you start there. So I thought that live waterfall technique was pretty cool. Instagram Reels is the only unconnected surface, so it is a terrific way to find new followers. Um, so by posting to Reels, you are more likely to attract new eyeballs that may not be following you so far. So I thought that was really interesting. 
They did say uh, another thing that you can repurpose that works well is your Spotify canvas may work well as a real video. So that was pretty cool. Uh, they did discourage people from sharing clips that are visibly recycled from other services. Um, they didn't specifically name TikTok, but I'm pretty sure we all know who they were talking about uh, because you've got that TikTok logo. Nevertheless, I see lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people doing that. They also highlighted the remix option, which is a opportunity to engage with creators and other musicians. It allows you to collaborate. Uh, it's a great way to get content, uh, sort of give content a new life. I haven't tried the remix feature, but it sounds pretty neat. So I may, may give that a shot. Another actionable thing that they encouraged was to follow at creators, C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S, because they regularly offer tips and tricks for using Instagram better, and also to follow Instagram um, IG Music Partners and Adam Masseri, uh, who is the Instagram person who talks periodically about their algorithms. So those are all, if you, if you want to dive deep into Instagram, those are a couple of handles that, that you really ought to check out. Uh, they also talked about not forgetting to post to both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, early on, I had heard, you know, cross-posting the same content might be a bad idea. I've been doing it for a long time. It hasn't been an issue. And they said that according to their studies, the overlap between Instagram and Facebook is only like 10% in many cases. So you probably don't have to worry too much about your users, your your followers, and your fans being bombarded with the same stuff on each platform because there may not be a lot of overlap. So some of the best practices for Instagram and Facebook that they mentioned is experiment, uh, see what see what people are interested, see what your fans are interested in. Don't just think about music, but think about other things you're interested in. Maybe you're vegan, maybe you're a painter, maybe you love your pets. Use that to share content. Um, the trick is to be consistent and to interact. It's not always about the posting. So even if you can't think of a great photo to share today, go in there and spend five minutes commenting, liking, and sharing other people's content. Also, make sure that your Facebook and Instagram accounts are linked. You can automatically post on both. Uh, that, that can save you some time. And Merch Bar also now has... Instagram integration. So that is the same uh, merch company that uh, integrates with Spotify. Um, so that, that seems like that might, again, be worth checking out. All right. YouTube was there, of course. YouTube came in and talked again. Uh, they, they spoke, uh, all of these services spoke at the 2018 DIY conference that I attended. Some of the things that they talked about in terms of numbers over 1 million live streams in 2020, up five times from pre-pandemic. Um, of all the platforms I've had success with live streaming on, YouTube has been the best. A lot of that, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, uh, has to do with their content ID system just does a really good job identifying tracks. And most of the time, stuff does not get outright blocked. It may get blocked in select countries, but allowed in others. And so it just means that my live streams are a whole lot less choppy. Facebook, Twitch, other sites that I was restreaming to, uh, they they would wind up extremely broken because whole segments would just be cut out and silenced. Another thing that YouTube talked about was that people under 35 use it as their primary music discovery channel, uh, which is which is a huge statement. 
So some of the things that I took away from the YouTube talk, um, first of all, I have kind of dragged my feet because I haven't done a lot of research on the official artist channel. Uh, some of you may have noticed that you wind up with not only any videos you manually post on a channel you may own, but your uh, your DSP, when they provide the when your distributor provides your music to YouTube, they create a video with your album artwork and it goes to a different channel that is managed automatically by YouTube. Well, you can combine that automated channel with your your personally managed channel and it combines all of the followers, all of the stats and everything else. One of the other important things about this, which I found interesting, was that the analytics, once you merge those and you get your official artist channel, it also gives you visibility on other people that are using your music out there. So you can see if somebody else is using your music for background for a gaming video or something like that. Uh, so it gives, it gives you additional metrics you wouldn't otherwise have access to if you didn't have your official artist channel. So that is definitely on my to-do list in the near term. If you have more than a thousand subscribers, they also have a new live redirect. Uh, I've been using Premiere a fair amount, so it's where your video basically counts down at a set time and then you can watch your video live uh, with your listeners uh, and your followers. But the live redirect allows you to go live and talk with people and then redirect it to a premiere immediately afterwards. So you can kind of have a sit down uh, talk with your followers and then go straight into a premiere, which is pretty cool. But you do have to have a thousand subscribers and no community guideline strikes in order to do that. I have not tried YouTube Shorts. They did spend a lot of time talking about YouTube Shorts, which is their short form version of, uh, you know, TikTok and Instagram Reels. YouTube now has shorts. Uh, looks pretty cool. I don't know a whole lot about it yet. I need to play around with that. All right. We also had Hina Patel talked about how to book yourself without an agent. And she talked about several different things. She talked about building a uh, first of all, you got to have a press kit, and she reemphasized the link. I, I wrote down in all bold, do not send attachments to cold emails. Your EPK link should have your photos and videos and everything else. She talked about the importance of building a database um, of people that you meet that are relevant, venues and book or booking agents and that sort of thing. She likes to use Airtable.com, but you could use any sort of spreadsheet software as you're getting started. Uh, to keep track of things like emails, phone numbers, locations, time zones, capacity of the of the location, et cetera, et cetera. And she emphasized that it just wastes everybody's time if you're not sending your information to relevant venues. So you wanna you wanna make sure you're targeting that. One of the next speakers was Wendy Parr, who is an artist consultant, and she talked about authentic branding, and several things she said resonated with me. One, one was that we all feel like we're not good enough. Every artist deals with that. We've all got imposter syndrome. You just you have to fight through that um, and recognize that, that it is a common problem for everybody, and that fear can be really paralyzing. She had a lot of interesting thought experiments for figuring out your brand. Um, one of them was to create a list of heroes who inspire you. Then she also talked about thinking in terms of what is it specifically that you love about those artists? What what makes them so engaging? Is it their costuming? Is it their, their style of music? Is it their personality? Um, think about 
what qualities you like in their music themselves in the music itself uh so I've talked a lot about the arrangement exercise in this podcast, putting together, uh, dissecting your favorite artist's music. That can certainly help. And then think about their stage persona and what it is you love about that. She also took it back much further than I expected. She said, think about what you loved when you were 15 years old. What were your guilty pleasures? What what maybe are you embarrassed to share? What, are you, uh, what artists did you like to listen to but maybe didn't tell your friends that you did? And then think about their music and elements that you might want to influence in and how that might influence your particular signature sound. She talked about developing your artistic voice requires discipline, time, and exploration. And she offered five specific things that you you should think about. First, explore your qualities and passions. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are you really enthusiastic about? That was kind of one of the things that I heard from multiple speakers is that don't just think about your music and your stage persona and that sort of thing, but also think about your other hobbies, your interests. What else can you share so that you can be more authentic with your uh, with your fans? She also talked about the need to kill the perfectionist. So if you are fixated on making something absolutely perfect, you may never release it. If you are so paralyzed by this sense of, I have to be perfect on stage, you may never get up to perform. You have to recognize that it is a learning process, and sometimes just getting out there and doing it or releasing the track is is one of the best learning opportunities. Refine your vision over time. Who you are as an artist is going to change. Learn from your peers and over time, elevate your career. Next, we heard from Pandora. Um, And I I used to be a huge fan of Pandora. That was where I got all my music. And then I started using Spotify and YouTube more and kind of drifted away from Pandora. But this was a really good reminder that they are absolutely still out there. Uh, It is a very US-centric platform for listening to music. Uh, But I think there's a lot of potential here. And one of the cool things about Pandora is that many of the things that Spotify is charging $250 for are absolutely free on Pandora. So some of the things they talked about, first kind of contrasting it with Spotify again, there is unfortunately no way to pitch your songs for their curated playlists. So that's a little frustrating. They recognize that. They're working on it. They did kind of offer a workaround. They gave a couple of the different Spotify, uh, Pandora social media accounts, and they said if you will tag them when you release a new song uh, that's going out there to Pandora, uh, they may they may take a look at those songs and consider including it in their editorial playlists. So tagging them on social media is about the best you can do at this point. And I'll have links to those profiles on the show notes page. Uh, their platform for artists is called AMP. Uh, You can find it at amp.pandora.com. The important thing is you have to take an extra step with Pandora. Even if your digital distributor is providing your music to them, you have to go in and tell them, hey, please consider this. Uh, They consider themselves a more curated platform. So in other words, everything that flows to them is not automatically going to be accepted. I know I had initially several songs rejected, and then all of a sudden, after submitting two or three, my whole catalog appeared. And ever since, my songs as they're released are appearing reliably on Pandora. And they confirmed that, that once you've had a song accepted, future releases should go in automatically. So that's pretty cool. All right. So first, get your music on there. uh, And I will have a link for that on the show notes page. Uh, 
One of the things that you can do with the AMP platform are artist audio messages, and these play on your station. So on Pandora, you have an artist station. I've got the House Ninja station, plays my music as well as associated uh, similar artists. And these, this artist audio message allows you to record 15-second messages. And you can direct your, your listeners to take an action, like tap the screen or buy merch. Uh, you can geotarget it, so based on where they're listening from. Uh, you can even have up to 15 of these running simultaneously. They've also got a mechanism so that the same listener won't hear your same message multiple times in the day. So you don't need to worry about annoying your annoying your listeners. But this really gives you, you the opportunity to speak directly to your fans, give them a message, ask for their support, encourage them to take some sort of action. And it is completely free. Uh, so that's really awesome. The other tool that they talked about, which I wasn't aware of, is the featured track. So this is a song that their algorithm will basically bump and promote to more listeners if you feature it. You can feature up to six tracks per year for up to eight weeks each. Now, here's the trick that I wasn't actually, that I was not tracking. So in order for, uh, in, in order to feature a track, it has to be less than a year old, and it has to have at least 10 spins on the radio, on your radio station. So that has to be organic traffic, something that happened on the platform because of the algorithm. So the advice that they gave is for you to wait a few weeks after you release your track, promote it, hype it, try to drive some traffic to Pandora, and then you hit the you make that one your featured track. And once you've got a little bit of traffic and traction on their platform, that's when you want to feature it. There's also the option to promote singles, um, and that's kind of like your featured track plus an artist audio message. Uh, they gave an example of something like, you're about to hear my new track. It's about this or that. And if you like it, give it a thumbs up. That's, that's the sort of thing that you might use to promote a new single. You can also promote shows, also using the same sort of artist audio message, and then you can link to an external ticketing program. And additionally, which is what's cool, is that automatically geotargets the appropriate regions. So if you tell it that this is going to be in the greater Nashville area, then you can target that. Let's see here. So those were the big things that I picked up from Pandora. That was pretty awesome. I'll have some links to Pandora support and other uh, the Instagram accounts that you should follow there. Again, just a reminder, Pandora is U.S. only, although AMP is available worldwide. So uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, and to get your music on the platform, the website that you're looking for is to is submit.pandora.com. And once you've done that once, you should be should be pretty good once once you've had a song that's been accepted. Okay, over to you. Did you attend the conference? What did you learn? I'd love to hear from you at House Ninja Music on any of the social platforms, or you can head over to the show notes page at producerlifepodcast.com. Look for episode 82, and there's a lot of, and then you can leave a comment down below the show notes page. Uh, I do want to let you know, this is really cool. Coming up in September, I've got Chris, uh, Kevin Bruner and Chris Robley on the podcast. These are both hosts of the CD Baby DIY podcast. It is an awesome podcast. You guys should absolutely check it out. They offer a lot of tips. Um, it's been around for a long time. Uh, and, the, and these are very experienced marketers, seniors, 
CD Baby executives and also musicians in their own right. So uh, they really do a good job. Make sure to check that out and also make sure you hit subscribe on this podcast so you can catch those two interviews in September. The other announcement, I've got a new mashup that's out. Uh, It launched just last Friday, dropped last Friday, and it is a mashup with Tiesto, Sven, Showtech, and the Black Eyed Peas. So it is a really cool bootleg mashup. You should absolutely check it out. It's on YouTube, youtube.com slash House Ninja Music. I will also have it embedded in the show notes page so you guys can give it a listen. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 